struck with that, uh, the verse there in that song, um, Oh Holy Spirit, breathe in me, is this, is this what it was? Breathe in me like kingdom come. Have I got that right, Mark? <laughs> that is my prayer today. In fact, let's start with that prayer again. I know we've sung it. Lord, breathe in us like kingdom come. That must be powerful, Lord. That must be life-changing. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is week 10, if you're keeping count, of our series in James. Actually, before I go there, just a a reminder to you. I've got that in my announcements here. Um, There is an AGM coming up on the 16th of August. And if if you remember here, you would, would have already received an email about that. Now, the thing about AGMs is usually everybody's invited, and not everybody comes, but usually everybody's invited, right? But because of our restrictions of 125 in this hall, which is probably about what we have here at the moment, um, and we have about nearly 120 members, it does make it a little bit difficult to um, have that invitation extended. So if you're not a member, but you'd like to still... uh, see what goes on and hear what goes on in this AGM, then we'll, we'll put out a link. It'll be a private link on YouTube that you're welcome to watch along with. But that's, you know, that puts the pressure back on all the members here, you know. Uh, let's fill the place, hey? AGMs. Who loves them? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> anyway, week 10 in our series in James. It's called More Than Words, and it's based on this theme we've been talking about every single week that I feel like James, he, he just weaves it through the whole thing where he talks about how our our outward declaration for Christ actually should be evident through our actions and deeds, you know, how we love people um, by our character and our, and our integrity, you know, how people around us receive us. Because if they're not uh, noticing those things, if they're not receiving that evidence or seeing it, then James actually says, well, we need to have a good look at what our faith really is. It can't just be words. I'm not just talking about living a moral life, as important as that is, because as I've been saying repeatedly, the first recipients of these, this letter, you know, they, they were mostly uh, born Jews. They were Jewish born, and they, they knew how to live a good moral life, you know, most of them. They, they had that, that down pat, but yet James writes this letter to them, and, you know, as we've been reading, there's some pretty direct stuff in there. You know, he's trying to call at the New Christians on a few things. It's, it is a, it's a loving book, but at the same time, it's, it cuts to the chase, doesn't it? You know, it really does get into the heart. Well, that's what it's been like for me anyway. Being a Christian means so much more than just good moral living. That is important. It also means the way I put God first and the way I put others first. You know, my obvious compassion for others. You know, in us, there should be this reluctance to, to, to judge people and speak about them poorly. Hopefully you can pick up on some of the sermons as we go through this list. You know, what, what is it that actually flows out of my mouth? Do, we, does it, do I speak life or do I kind of speak a bit of death sometimes? How I embrace people who are different to me without any favor or bias or discrimination or racism or anything like that. You know, the Christians should be the least biased and racist and discriminatory people in the world. You know, we, people should see that in us. How I'm slow to anger and not easily offended. Remember that sermon? I do. 
probably because I wrote it, but, well, actually James wrote it. You know, someone said to me the other day, how's it going, doing all these sermons one after the other. I said, I love preaching James. He kind of writes himself in many ways. And uh, anyway, slow to anger, not easily offended. You know, how quickly I forgive when perhaps I am offended. Uh, my generosity and willingness to give and help those in need. You know, James is very, right back at the beginning, he's, he talks about the, the orphan and the widow, which is, that's a good example of those who in our, in our world, in our society, are in need. And, and part of the life of a Christian is that we reach out to them and, and we, we support and give if we can. You know, all those things and more, they flow from a changed heart. And a, and a changed heart really is, I think this is the sign that, that James is saying this is the sign of a follower, of a person of faith. So this is the second last time I'm going to ask this question, right? Because next week's the last week in James. Anyone sad about that? That's good. All right, we're getting there. Um, here's the question, right? I've been asking it every week. Do the people around me know that I love Jesus? And I mean more than just from my words where I say I'm a Christian or I go to church or I'm a believer... That's not what I'm asking. Do they know that I love them and therefore love Jesus? Because you know, if they do, if they know you love them like Jesus does, they know your, your faith is real. And actually, you know, so do we. <laughs> That's kind of how we know how our faith is real too. And the people around us actually, we can tell if they feel loved by us. I hope we can anyway. And that kind of tells me something about my own faith. And I've said it repeatedly, and it's worth saying again, that James is not a doctrine of salvation by works, okay? Be careful not to hear that. It's, it's a doctrine of true repentance, I think. That's the way I'm, I'm looking at it. Because repentance is a decision of the mind that says, I now live for Jesus and not my old way or not for the world's ways, okay? I now live... So I'm not saying the guitar and the drums are some kind of evil and good thing here. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. But I'm living for Jesus because he plays the guitar really well. Now, you know what I mean. It, is, it, is, you know, it doesn't just, just happen by some kind of magic, all right? Yes, the Holy Spirit indwells in us and changes us, but we have to embrace that and accept it and make Decisions to say, I'm living for Jesus now, everything. Okay, this is repentance. And, we, and, you know, often we think of repentance as just a bad feeling about things that I've done. I mean, that's a conviction that, comes from, that, that leads us into repentance often, right? That's good. I'm, I'm good for that. And, uh, you know, I kind of felt that stirring myself last week a little bit. But repentance really is saying, I changed life and I'm making that choice. I'm going that direction. And so we change and... You know, it's quite simple, really. The, the heart softens, the Holy Spirit moves in, the fruit of the Holy Spirit's activity is revealed through me. And, you know, this is what you, you should see through me and through those of us who claim to be or, or say that we're followers of Jesus. So, love and joy and peace and patience and self control and kindness and so on, those things are evident. I saw a, um, a meme by Nikki Gumbel. This week, shared on Facebook, he said, you know, Christians should be identified by um, soft hearts and hard feet. You know, and I love that, it, you know, this soft heart towards people, towards God. And, um, but you've got hard feet because we're working for him. You know, we're out there living the life that he's called us to. 
So today we're going to finish off chapter 4. We're also going to move into chapter 5. It's the last chapter of James. And uh, God willing, next week we'll see the end of this um, sermon come to a close. But I would encourage you, don't just hear my words each week on James. God will speak to you himself through his word. So go back to the beginning, read it slowly, verse by verse, word by word even, and just be amazed at the depth of it and what God is challenging you to do. So James 4, verse 13, here's where we're starting. It's on the screen behind me. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. Well, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, to we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans. And all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. We finished on that verse last week, but you see the application for this week as well. You know, on first reading, you could read this passage and say, well, is James saying that it's some kind of sin to make plans? You know, it sounds like it's unbiblical to say, well, this is where I think I need to be in 5, 10 or 15 years or something like that. that you know, you could read it like that, but that is definitely not the case. You know, verse 15 clearly says we can make plans. In fact, we can even let people know about them. All right? So on one hand, he's saying be careful about your boasting, but the other hand, he says you can let people know about what's happening or what God has in, in mind for you because there is that very clear point of difference. The first planning ahead from our lives that James talks about is based on what we want. You know, the inward selfish part of us, those kinds of desires. The second is based on what God wants for us. And that, there's a world of difference in those two things that James is talking about. A follower of God gives his or her future over to God and his plans for us. Now, church, there is a big picture that every single one of us is part of. And all too often, our, our grasp of God's big picture, you know, it, it's a little small. And it's narrow. And we focus it in on just me. And, and I just think that this is where we're going to go today. James reminds us in verse 14, our lives are kind of short. And, and they're a little fragile. He says, you know, your life's like a fog. Or a mist. It's here one minute and it's gone. I mean, that doesn't sound very nice to say from the pulpit, but that's kind of what he's saying. You know, there's billions of people that have gone, come through the earth here and we're there one minute and we're gone the next. But God knows what we don't. And so we have to trust him. You know, there is a bigger eternal picture and the part that God has in mind for you is really important in that big picture. We're called to serve a kingdom that's bigger than we could possibly know. So that's my first point. We have a part to play in God's big picture. And that's an exciting proposition to me. We have a part to play in God's big picture. And that's better than our own dreams and plans and you know, earthly thinking about what I can gather and accumulate and things like that. Now, this doesn't mean that when I say that you have, God has a plan for you in his picture, it doesn't mean that everybody has to be a, a pastor, by the way. <laughs> Far too often when we go looking for God's plan, especially if we know we're in the wrong place, we think, well, maybe the answer is full-time ministry. 
That's, maybe that's where I need to go. But for most people, I'm, I'm just going to say it's not. You know, being a pastor doesn't make what God has called me to do any more important than what he has called all of you here this morning to do. I'm not on some kind of upper level, right? Actually, I am, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Now, it's not lost on me that many of you are in fields that care for people, doctors and nurses and counselors and carers, all through this place and others. You know, this makes sense to me. God's heart for the hurting that's coming through. And what he wants for us. Some of you are actually called into business. You know, he wants you to make a difference in the economy for God. I really do believe that because to employ people means to feed families and keep people out of poverty. Some of you, he actually wants you to earn a lot of money. I said it. (laughs) So you can give generously. Some of you are called to care for your family, especially you know, when they're young or very old or need extra care for whatever reason. You know, that is a high calling. Please, don't think that that is not. Many of you are in work in a place that God, and God just wants you there for a reason. If you don't know what that reason is, then I want to encourage you, start praying and look for the opportunities in that workplace that God has put you because maybe, just maybe, that's part of his big picture and you're part of it. Some of you here are called to missions. I'm just going to say it. God is tapping you on the shoulder. You know, I just think Nicole's a great example to us of being obedient to God. Heard from her this week, by the way, doing good. Some of you are called to work as chaplains, even though it doesn't pay that great. Some of you are scientists working hard to support humanity in the best way you can. You know, I can think of some of you sitting here this morning. Some of you are, are teaching future generations in early childhood and primary and secondary and higher education. You know, Christians are needed in education, by the way. This is a calling. And it's part of God's big picture. There's more and more I could say. The point is this. For a follower of Christ, his plans, his plans need to be our plans. And God puts you somewhere as part of his big picture. And we should humbly follow him because that big picture is the redemption of this world. Hey, we're part of this church. You know, we're part of his plan to redeem the world, to lift it up out of brokenness. Let's keep reading. We're going to move into chapter 5. A fair bit of scripture today. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were canning on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The the cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. I can tell it like it is if you want, James. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. I mean, what is James talking about? 
He addresses this passage to rich people, right? But then he accuses them of cheating people of their pay and, and killing innocent people just to get their own way. And I mean, I don't know if any of you here fit that category. But before we dismiss this as not being for us, I just want us to look closely and carefully test ourselves against what James says here, okay? You know, I'd hate for us to miss a principle that applies to us just because I haven't killed somebody, all right? There's something here. For example, verse 3 has a warning against putting our trust and hope in wealth ahead of God. That's for us, isn't it? There's a warning there because that's a struggle, isn't it? In fact, James warns us if we ignore God's plans and focus on our, our plans, especially the ones that are about me having more and more, you know, our accumulation of stuff instead of what God wants me to accumulate, that we stand in testament against, that stands in testament against us on the day of judgment. You know, that's, that's what the passage says to us. Verse 3, this corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. All our stuff just rots away anyway, and at that time and effort, all that time and effort, you know, was diverted from God's kingdoms, God's kingdom and his plans and our part in it. I think you see what, what he's saying there. So point two, our plans are focused on accumulating kingdom wealth, not earthly wealth. Or I guess the point should be that our plans should be focused on that. We have to ask ourselves, how many people can be rescued if all, our, all of God's followers were to focus on, on kingdom wealth instead of my own personal wealth? And kingdom wealth is the redemption of the world. You know, it's people. That's what we're talking about. I'm not saying money or wealth in of themselves are evil or sinful. Jesus never says that. James doesn't say that. But if they have a place in my heart, if that's what takes my attention, if that's, if that's my plans, you know, my plans are wealth, then that doesn't point to the faith that James is talking about here. You know, I say maybe this passage is for us after all. Verse 7. Dear brothers and sisters. I like how he keeps calling us brothers and sisters just to make us feel a little bit better about him, you know. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who, who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient and take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. It's kind of going back to last week's message a little bit, isn't it? And it's similar to what we read in chapter 4. Actually, I'm just wondering, how did you go this week? You know, we talked about judging others, and we took some time to think about people in our life that we, maybe we do that a little bit too. And I, I encourage you to pray about that and spend the week thinking about that and hope, hopefully letting God change us. I wonder how you went. Did you catch yourself before you opened your mouth? How's my stomach? <laughs> Hungry. Anyway, verse 10. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. 
You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. All right, point number three from this scripture is our plans should be shaped with Jesus' return in mind. You know, verse 7 said, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. That means we are waiting for his return. You know, that's something that we're doing, right? I hope we are anyway. The big picture is so much bigger than we can even begin to imagine. You know, it actually, it includes eternity. But I think what James is saying is that a person of faith lives every day knowing that what we do now shapes our eternity. I'm just going to borrow a sermon illustration from Francis Chan. You may have seen this. And I really think it helps us a lot. But if this rope represented your life, and I mean your eternity, it's a really long rope. It goes a long way. In fact, if it's eternity, there's actually no end to it, right? You should go all the way down that side of the building and out the window there. That would have been a better illustration, but I didn't think of that. But (laughs) it's long. And this little bit here represents our life. We just think about that for a second. What we do here actually dictates what happens here. In fact, what we do right here and right here. You know, too often we spend all of this bit here making this little bit here really, really good, right? You know, we're earning all the money we can and saving all the things we can and accumulating all we can for this little tiny bit right here, the little end bit of the red bit, where we struggle to enjoy all the stuff anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But we're putting all this effort in to that. And God says, my big picture far outweighs what you think it is. All you're thinking about is right now and right now and right now, or maybe that little tiny gap at the end. And God's saying, there's a big picture. And we need to be thinking about how this determines this more and more. Can you see it? Thanks, Francis. That was good. Paul says in Philippians, but we are citizens of heaven. Aren't we on earth? Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. Are we? You know, believers live with eager anticipation of an imminent return. We're anticipating the return of Christ, and it changes how we live. We live like our time here is short. You know, there is an urgency about it. This is why I, I want us to be a praying church. You know, I don't want to just be spinning the wheels for 10 years and look back and say, God, where was the fruit from that last little tiny bit of the red? Uh, I just think God's saying that. I'm talking as a church now. That red could be powerful and strong and changed so many people's lives for eternity. There should be a vibe in the church, like there was in the New Testament. You can't help notice that when you read the New Testament, that Christ will return soon. 
You know, verse 8 said, take courage, back in James, take courage. The Lord is coming soon. Now, I know he said that 2,000 years ago. And, you know, you might think, well, did they get that wrong? And the answer is no. Christ can come back any time. He, he could have come back then. You know, he will know. He, he'll, God will say, now's the time. And it could have been then. And it could be right now. I think he wants the whole world to have a chance, though, to respond to him. So we wake up each day and we live fully for God that day. You know, maybe we should be waking up and saying, God, is it today? Because that might just change how we live and how we, how we love and how we care. The problem, I think, is we kind of doubt it a bit. You know, we doubt the imminent return of Christ. I, you know, I just think the reason I know that from my life or in general is when, when we look at the church, you know, you can tell. We doubt it a bit. You know, every year we do Advent and we talk about this. We say because, because Christ came at Christmas 2,000 years ago, you know, he, that fulfilled the prophecy that was before that. Everything happened that was said would happen in the way that it was said would happen. Because that happened, because Jesus came, died and rose again, sits in the Father's right hand, we have so much confidence that what he said about coming again is true and real. So we, we can trust these words. We accept the evidence based on what we've seen, and that brings a reassurance in our heart that he will return again. If we embrace that promise and live by it, the enthusiasm for God and his church, I just think it could be a bit different. You know, how hungry are we for worship and to pray? And would we be more deliberate with how we share our faith or, or how we just care for others and, you know, how we invite people to know God more? I think we'd focus less time on our own desires and plans and more on the kingdom desires. I think that what God wants for the world, you know, it should start, the balance should should change. You know, we're less focused on, on us and where we want to be when we're 65 and, and more on where God wants us to be when we're 65 and what, what he wants us to do. We're all a part of God's big picture, church, and today's message from James is an encouragement to move into God's plan for your life because being part of God's big picture brings far more satisfaction, trust me, and ultimately leads to an eternal reward that you can't even see the end of than any of the wealth and stuff that we might try to accumulate. You know, it leaves all that stuff for dust. And it just, what did James say? It rots, and rots away anyway. It just rusts. When I leave the earth, or if Jesus comes before I do, you know, I guess I'm, I, I hope to hear the word, words, well done, you know, good and faithful servant. The only thing I can take with me are the people around me. We're going to finish with one of my favourite songs. You can come now, team. We actually, we've already been singing about it this morning. Good, good choice of songs. Amanda lined up real well. God knew what he was doing again because we're part of his big picture, probably. But uh, there's a great song that Hillsong wrote back in the early 2000s called Hosanna. I see the King of glory coming in the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes. You know, that's... Can you see it? Can we see it this morning? Like, 
Can we wake up every day and just say, I see it. I see the King of glory coming. You know, that day there'll be no more tears. We'll be with our King forever. It's something for us to long for and be excited about, and it should change the way we live our lives. Are you ready for that, church? Let's stand. We're going to sing together, and I'll come and pray to close this off.